All right, good morning. Uh, hopefully this will be the, the last Sunday we have to do this for a little while. Uh, uh, being here online and live, and I uh, hope everybody's able to log in and see this uh, one, one more time. Uh, be, we got a lot to pray about. Uh, I know we've got uh, uh, Christmas coming up here in the next couple weeks, and a lot of people don't think about this, but I always try to mention it at Christmas, right around Christmas. This is a really rough time of year for some people, and this year's probably going to be worse. Um, and I think I mentioned it maybe in, the, in one of the devotions, but uh, we see a lot of suicide rates going up this time of year just because of depression. Uh, so check on your people. Check on people that you know. Check on people that have struggled this year especially. And, uh, and, and pray with them. Pray for them. And, uh, and try to reach out and be a good neighbor for them as well. Uh, and I always want to try to, like I said, mention that this time of year because of the struggle is real, especially in 2020. Uh, again, appreciate everybody logging in uh, for this one, and we're going to be, it's kind of a Christmas, it is Christmas, but we're going to be out of 1 Corinthians this morning, kind of uh, back between 1 Corinthians and Luke a little bit, and I uh, hope everybody's enjoying the, the morning reads, and uh, I appreciate uh, my, my sidekick there, Paisley, helping out as well. I know that y'all really just tune in for her now and not me, but I appreciate everybody listening and, and reading along with us. It's, uh, it means a lot. I think y'all got to see me more this year than y'all. I've got to see y'all this year, honestly. But I appreciate everybody uh, sticking with us and, and reading through. And we'll be done in, a, in about 11 days. We'll be done reading the book of Luke together. Again, we're going to be over in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, uh, verse 27 and 28. So we'll be reading this morning. And I've got a little word for you. And I'm going to get a little nerdy with you first thing this morning, I know. Uh, and it's a little word called trifle. And, and it's not one that we use. Uh, and it's kind of an old word. Now, they use it over in the UK some because it, it is a, it's a type of dessert. But there's a, it's a word called trifle. And I want to give you the definition of it. And, and it'll, it'll make a lot of sense as we go through the message today what this word means. Trifle means a thing of little value or importance. A thing of little value or importance. Trifle. Now, someone once asked Michelangelo, the artist, not the turtle, Said, he said this, said, why he spent, or they asked him why he spent so much time, um, so much time on painting the trifles in his work. Michelangelo, why do you spend so much time painting the little things in your work? And this is his response. He said, trifles make perfection, and perfection is no trifle. So to put that in modern terms right now, what we would say is little things make perfection, and perfection is no little thing. Things, little things, little, great things. And right here, what we're getting ready to read, and, and we're going to look at Corinthians, we're going to look at what Paul has to say, but what we're reading right now as a church in the book of Luke, what we're reading is it's telling the greatest story ever told to mankind, the greatest sacrifice ever made for mankind. We're reading the birth of the, the greatest person of ever, ever here on earth, we're reading this, and it's, again, it's the greatest story ever told. And God used a bunch of trifles. God himself used a bunch of little things to tell the greatest story. And when you read it, and, and like I said, we're, since we're all reading it together right now, especially when we got into to Luke 2, when you read it, you see the little things that took place. You see the little people that God used. You see the little events that God used. You see the little situations, the little circumstances. You see the little towns that God used to tell the greatest story that we've ever heard in our entire life. 
It's, it's the little things. It's the, little, it's the trifles that God used that blows our mind. How could we have a Savior that come from heaven, left all the perfection of heaven, the greatest place that we could ever spend eternity, how could he leave the greatness of heaven to come down here on earth but do it through the little things? Do it through a little town of Bethlehem. Do it through a little manger in a cave. Do it through the little people as a shepherd. And Mary, too, she's little, too. How could the greatest story ever told be nothing but full of trifles? Makes no sense to a lot of people. But as Christians, and the more that we study it, and the more that we read it, and the more that we celebrate Christmas the way that we're supposed to celebrate Christmas, then we're going to start seeing that the trifles are greater than we've ever than we could ever imagine. These little things are great, and, and, and these little things, these little these trifles, touch us. These trifles stir our heart. These trifles make us feel like part of the story, because the majority of us are just little people. We're just little somebodies. We're just little people here on earth trying to do a big thing for God. So it makes a lot more sense for a, a Christian. Uh, probably than it does anybody else. But he used all these little things when telling us about his son coming to earth, all these little things to describe to us and to tell the world about the coming and the birth of his son. So in Luke's account that we've been reading here the past uh, 13 days, um, we see the account of the birth of Jesus, and there's nothing in what we read to suggest any greatness. When you read Luke 2, and you go back into Matthew and read that as well, you don't see any greatness coming from what we read because he doesn't use what we would think as for a king uh, to describe the coming of the, the of, of God in flesh. So let's read First uh, Corinthians, if if you will, this morning. Set your coffee down just a minute. Don't want you to spill it in your Bible. First Corinthians chapter one, verse twenty-seven, twenty-eight says, "But God hath chosen the foolish things of the world to con- confound the wise, and God hath chosen the weak things." of the world to confound the things which are mighty and base things of the world and things which are despised hath God chosen yea and things which are not to bring to naught things that are let's pray father this morning as uh, we have come to you uh, lord for this sunday we're going back online one more time lord i pray that you would bless our time together god i pray that you'd open up our hearts and god i pray that you would clear our minds this morning so that we can see the little things that you have done for us, the things that we tend to forsake, the little things that uh, we don't think about where your greatness has been shown. And Lord, I pray that today it would bring it all to the front of our mind and we would thank you a little bit more for all the little things that you're doing and you have done for us and that you're going to do for us in the future. And God, I pray that uh, we would realize that there was uh, uh, there was no trifle, there was no little thing uh when you gave up your son, Jesus Christ, to come and, and be crucified, that was the greatest thing that has ever been done for mankind. And, Lord, we thank you for that. And I pray that as we continue to go through this Christmas season, as we continue to go through the book of Luke as a church, and, Lord, as we read and, and we prepare our hearts and we prepare our homes uh, for the celebration of the birth of your son, Lord, I pray that we not forget um, just the, the great sacrifice that you made by giving him up for us. Lord, we love you and we praise you for that. Call that in your son's name, we pray. Amen. All right, so again, we're, we're going to be all over the place. We're reading over here for what Paul had to write in 1 Corinthians. 
but we also want to look in, in Luke. So I'm going to flip back and forth a little bit. We're going to be over in Luke some as well. Uh, and this is all based out of Luke too, but I want you to, to realize the little things in this life, that, that are the little things uh, in the story of the life of Jesus. <clears throat> so the first thing we're going to look at is God uses little people. He did. God used little people for the greatest story ever told. He used the little people. Now, there, there were many big men there in, in, in Palestine over in that area in that day. There were uh, a ton of, of scholars that had the greatest knowledge in the world, some of the smartest people in the world right there in Palestine, but he didn't use them. There were some great rulers in that area that had unreal power and authority, but he didn't use them. God didn't choose people with great power and great knowledge to tell us of the coming of his son to earth. Now, if you think about it, the angels came to the little people. The angels, what we've read in Luke, the angels came to the little shepherds. Not the little drummer boy, that's all made up. But they came to the little shepherds in the field. They were probably young. I don't know how old they were, but they were probably young. They were little, and they were lowly shepherds in a field by themselves with their sheep, taking care of them. The angels didn't go to someone with great power and say, hey, toot your horn and, and wake everybody up and tell them what's happening. They went into a field, and they found some shepherds, and they told the shepherds of this great event that's taking place. You think about that, the littlest shepherds. Back in those days, were the least of the least. They were the little people of that area. They were small, they, not small in stature, but they were, they were nothing. The angels went to nothing to tell them about something great that was getting ready to take place. To announce the birth of Jesus Christ to the entire world, they went to nothings. They went to little nothings to do that. It wasn't a king here on earth that was his earthly father. It wasn't a, a, a queen here on earth that was his mother. No. God used a little teenage girl to be the mother of Jesus Christ. God used a lowly carpenter to be the earthly father of, the, of his son, Jesus Christ. God used little people, carpenters. Back then, they were not much. They weren't much more higher than a, than a shepherd because of the, the labor, the physical labor. They weren't thought of as much. They were little people, teenage girls, little people. But God used them. One of the most encouraging things to me is that God uses the little people to do great big things in this world. And it's not just Mary and Joseph. I want you to look at some of the other people in the Bible here. There's tons of them. I just, I just got a few out of here. Look at big old Goliath. You got big old Goliath, and then you got little bitty David. God used little David to take him out, to take Goliath out. God used a little person to take out a big something. The uh, Midianite army was defeated. This huge army, I don't know how many was in the army, but I, when I think of an army, I think of a lot of, a lot of numbers. You got this big old Midianite army, and then you've got a small group of 300 men that wipe them out. A little group, like a little militia, 
going in and taking out a whole army. That's how God uses people like that. Moses led the children of Israel out of Egypt. You got one, one person. You got Moses for the most part. One little person leading a multitude out of Egypt. That's great. Naaman was sent to Elisha to be healed of leprosy by a little maid. He used that little maid to take care of it. A little boy with some bread and some fish. In the hands of God, God turned that little lunch, or in the hands of Jesus, God turned that little lunch into a big lunch for a multitude of people. See, God used that little boy and that little lunch for a big thing, to feed the masses, to feed that congregation, to feed that multitude, and then to have some left over. God uses little people. Little Paul, first missionary. Then you got little Mary Magdalene. She's the first person to see Jesus after the resurrection. God can use you. God can use all these little people. They're big to us because of how we know them in the Bible. And so to us, we don't see them as little people. They're great people. They've done great works through God. To us, they're huge. But to themselves back then, they were just nobodies. They were just little nobodies. But God can use you too the same way that he used those people in a big way. But you've got to let him. You've got to let God use you. You've got to say, Lord, here I am. I'm little. I'm not much, but I'm yours. Lord, I, I don't have much to offer. I've got a little talent that you give me. Or maybe you say I've got a little, a little bit of money that I, I, can, I can use to do whatever you need me to do. Lord, I've got a little bit of this or a little bit of that, but Lord, I'm yours. And I know you can turn my little whatevers into something great, into something big. But you're going to have to offer it to him and say, Lord, here's my little thing, my little something. Just, just do something with it, Lord. But we've got to go to him. Number two, God uses little places. Now I'm going to get really nerdy with you because this one, I love studying this. out. I love studying the land, over there, especially after being over there a couple times now and getting to see it in my mind and seeing how it's laid out. But we're going to look at the, the little places that God uses in, in this story of his son, Jesus Christ. Bethlehem, we all know this. This is the place where Jesus was born. I think we all know that. That's where he was born. So Galilee was a region around the Lake of Galilee. So you've got this big lake there, and then you've got this one little area uh, in that region, and it's called Galilee. And it had this large Gentile population. And so from the Old Testament, you go back and you read, they would call that the Galilee of the Gentiles. So that area right there, uh, the prophets used to call that the Galilee of the Gentiles, so the area of the Gentiles. Isaiah 9 one says, Nevertheless, the dimness shall not be such as was in her vexation, when at the first he lightly afflicted the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali, and afterward did more grievously afflict her by the way of the sea beyond Jordan and the Galilee of the nations. And that's talking about uh, that's around that area, the, the Galilee of the Gentiles. That's what Isaiah is talking about. Then you got to look at Nazareth. Now you got Nazareth, and that was a city in the hills of Galilee. And, and this place is it's it's a it's a beautiful place. Even right now, it's kind of uh, it's third world looking, but it's still a, a gorgeous place to look at. And it was on a uh, Nazareth was this city on this trade route that ran from uh, the coast over to Damascus, and then east of that. Uh, so you had this, Nazareth was on a trade route, so people were always coming through. 
it was it was a hopping little town. It, it was a it was one of those that you probably didn't stop and stay in very often, but you were always going to pass through this little town. And then you got Judea, which is south of Samaria, and it was north of Edom, and it was by the Mediterranean Sea and east of the Jordan and the Jordan River and the Dead Sea. Uh, so we got these little places that don't mean a lot. They were little places on the map. There were little specks, little dots on the map that didn't mean a lot, but they meant a lot. Now they mean a lot to us because of where they, where they are and the significance and the meaning behind them. And, uh, and just uh, I'll throw this out there. I won't charge any extra for this one. Bethlehem right here was the original home of David's family, and was, it was called uh, Ephratath. And it's over in Genesis. You can actually find uh, Bethlehem over in Genesis in the very first of the Bible. And Genesis thirty-five sixteen says, And they journeyed from Bethel, and there was but a little way to come to Ephrath. And Rachel travailed, and she had hard labor. And Rachel died and was buried in the way of Ephrath, which is Bethlehem. And her grave is actually still there right now. You can, you can, it's hard to get there. Uh, it's under lockdown, but it's still there. Rachel's grave is there. So anyway, Bethlehem was this little town. And it was the place where the Lord first appeared on earth. He could have went to Jerusalem. Can you imagine Jesus being born in Jerusalem? Can you imagine Jesus maybe even being born somewhere right around the temple? Maybe right there at one of those gates or, or somewhere right in that area. But no, no, God didn't see fit to have him born in Jerusalem. He said, I want him to be born in a little place, in a little town. In that little town called Bethlehem, that's where I want my son to be born. I don't want this great big wall around him. I don't want this big crowd there as he is born. I don't want to, he God had this thing planned out from the beginning. He knew where Bethlehem was going to be. He formed it. And he said, that's where my son is going to be. That's where my only begotten son is going to be birthed. That is where God in the flesh is first going to touch down. It's going to be in Bethlehem. God uses little places to get his work done. If you go and you read back in the Old Testament, if you look at David, where was David found? In a field, in a little field. If you look at Gideon, Gideon was hiding behind a little wine press. The, the great uh, preacher, D.L. Moody, you know how he was saved? In a shoe store by a shoe salesman. The shoe salesman gave him his testimony and led him to Jesus. So God used a shoe store to save one of the greatest preachers that's ever walked the face of this earth, D.L. Moody. I was saved in a little country church. Most of y'all were probably saved in a little country church. God uses little places to do big things. God uses these little churches in the area to do great things. God uses these little churches to start these big revivals. God is going to use them. God loves little places. God loves little people. Micah 5, 2 says, But thou, Bethlehem, Ephratath, uh, though thou be little among the thousands of Judah, yet out of thee shall he come forth unto me, that is, to be ruler in Israel, whose goings forth have been from of old, from everlasting. But did you see that? He says, though thou be little among the thousands. <laughs> he uses little, this little place called Bethlehem for his son Jesus to be born. You may... You may be listening this morning. You might live on a, a dead-end street, or you might go to just a little old country church with just a few people in it. But you know what? God knows your name. God knows where you are. God can use you. You might say, I'm, I'm nothing. I don't have a name. 
Nobody knows who I am. I'm just a little nobody on this little street corner. And nobody would care less who I am or what I'm doing. God knows your name. And God knows what he can do with you. He formed you. He knows every hair on your head. He knows what he can do. He knows what he has to work with. And I promise you, whatever he has to work with, it's going to be perfect. It will be absolutely what he wants. But you've got to give it to him. You've got to step up and say, here I am. Here's little old me. Use me. Go over, if you want to, look at Luke 2. Luke 2, 7. It says, And she brought forth her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling clothes and laid him in a manger because there was no room for him in the inn. That's going to bring us over to number three. God uses little things. God uses the little things in this life. That manger was not a crib. That manger was not a baby bed. We were, Maria was cleaning out the, our storage building the other day and, and came across our, our uh, crib for Paisley that we used for her. And I got to looking at that little thing. And it looks so nice and comfortable, and you got your little mattress in there, and you got the the sides up so the baby can't roll out. Thought, man, she had it made. I remember my grandma telling me that whenever I stayed with them, I slept in her dresser drawer, which I found out later that's not unusual <laughs> back then. But you see, our youngins have it made. Jesus was was born in a feeding trough. Jesus. And we all see different pictures. You know, you see them in this little trough, this little wood trough with hay in it. And back then, when I was there back in January, you know, we, we went through the shepherd's caves, and you get to see the the places where Jesus was and where the shepherds and all were staying. And feeding troughs wasn't actually one of those racks that you put hay in. Feeding troughs were actually uh, hewn out of the cave walls. And so I'm not going to argue that one with you, but I'm just saying it wasn't normal. Jesus wasn't born in your normal house or your normal, uh, have your normal bed or wherever youngins stayed back then. That, that was not normal back then. He was, he was born in a, in a little manger. My Jesus was born in a little manger. It was a little lowly thing. And then you go back and you read that about the, the, he, was, he was wrapped in swaddling clothes. Swaddling clothes. You realize those are rags. That they were probably worn out cloth used to, to bandage up the animals that were in that, that cave or that barn, whatever you want to call it. They were probably bandages that were, may have already been covered in, in blood or even manure or whatever. My Jesus was wrapped in dirty rags. My Jesus was wrapped in things that were unfit for normal human beings. Jesus was wrapped in rags that were used to wrap around animals don't sound right does it how could the lord of lords king kings come to earth and be wrapped in rags but he was there there's where my savior there's where my jesus was born in a manger wrapped in rags in a feeding trough wrapped in rags king of king lord of lords stooped to lowliness so that we might someday have riches untold that's my Jesus. He could have been born in a palace. Like I said, he could have been born in Jerusalem or somewhere else in a, in, a, in a palace, but he wasn't. He could have been born in a whatever they would have used for a hospital back then if they even had anything like that. He could have been, but 
He would. God chose the little things for his son, Jesus. He chose the little places. He chose the little people. He chose the little things like the manger for his son to be born in. Moses, if you go back and you look at Moses, Moses was given fully to God at a little bush that was burning but not consumed. Just a little bush. Samson used a little jawbone of a donkey to battle for God. Jesus used the illustration of little sparrows to show his love for us and his care for us. Jesus sailed in little boats to reach the other side. It was a small, still voice that spoke to Elijah. Now, if you remember, it wasn't earthquake, it wasn't wind, it wasn't fire that spoke to him, but it was that still small voice. I want to read it to you because I love this. Over in 1 Kings 19, it says, And he said, Go forth and stand upon the mount before the Lord, and behold, the Lord passed by, and a great and strong wind rent the mountains and break in pieces the rocks before the Lord. But the Lord was not in the wind, and after the wind an earthquake, but the Lord was not in the earthquake. And after the earthquake, a fire, but the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire, a still small voice. And it was so when Elijah heard it that he wrapped his face in his mantle and went out and stood in the entering in of the cave. And behold, there came a voice unto him and said, What dost thou hear, Elijah? That little voice, that little still small voice that we hear. You know, people think of God in, in this thundering booming voice speaking to you and just waking you up and shaking you. He can be audible, I'll be honest with you. I, I've heard Jesus talk to me before. But it's through that still small voice. It's through that, it's not through the earthquake. It's not through the wind. It's not through the fire. But it's through that still small voice. Even though we will go through all these storms, these earthquakes, these blowing winds, all these storms in our lives, we can still hear Jesus. We can still hear that little voice speaking to us. If you think about some of the things in the New Testament here, it was a little crowing of the rooster that caused Peter to realize his, his sin. It was Jesus when he went a little farther and prayed in that garden. Matthew, I love this. Preacher David Ward preached on this one time. I'll never forget it. Matthew 26, 39, and he went a little farther. And he went a little farther, and he fell on his face, and he prayed, saying, O oh, my Father, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me nevertheless, not as I will, but as thou wilt. What if Jesus hadn't went a little farther? What if Jesus had just stopped by and just took a nap with the rest of us? What if Jesus got up to the garden gate and he said, I can't do this, and turned around and walked away? But he didn't. He stopped maybe for a second. But then he went a little farther. He stepped right on in that garden. He got down on his knees. He got down on his belly. He got down on his face because he went a little farther. And then he spoke to God. And God spoke to him. And then he prayed for me. And he prayed for you while he's in that garden. If Jesus had not went a little farther, our I don't know that our names were called out in the garden. But you know, at that time, as he was preparing for death, preparing for that crucifixion, he went a little farther so that he could speak to God. He went a little farther to get away from everybody else to speak to God. We've got to go a little farther in our lives. God uses little things to do his will, but we go, we're going to have to go a little farther. 
we're going to have to step outside our comfort zone. We're going to have to get outside those four walls of our churches and go a little farther than we've ever been before. Step outside those church doors and go a little farther than we did yesterday and the day before. Tomorrow, I want you to go a little farther than you did today. But you've got to go a little farther to get things done. We have to wholly, fully surrender to Him, though, to go a little farther. Romans 12.1 says, I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. Now, we're going to get into number five or, or number four real quick, but I want you to look at verse 15. Luke 2.15 says, And it came to pass, as the angels were gone away from them into heaven, the shepherds said one to another, Let us now go even unto Bethlehem, and see this, this thing which has come to pass, which the Lord hath made known unto you. Number four, God uses little tasks. He uses little tasks in our life. Jesus could have preached a sermon on the mount every single day. I, when we were over there back in uh, January, over in Israel, and we up on the uh, up on the the mount there where Jesus preached, I thought, what a perfect place to be and to be able to preach, to have a revival, to preach there all the time. But Jesus didn't. He had an opportunity to preach every day there, but he preached that ser- one sermon on that mount. Jesus said the little task. Jesus used the little task to reach others with the message of eternal life. That little task of going out and preaching that day to the multitude. The little task that he did to us, again, reading this, it's no little task. When you go and, and he, or when he went and he healed and he preached and he taught, that to us doesn't seem like something little. But to him, he was just going about his father's business. He was doing what he was called to do. And he was, he was doing a great job. Uh, when he asked that woman at the well for a little drink of water, and she provided it, and then he showed her that he was the living water, it was that little drink that turned into something big. That little drink of, that little sip of water that he was given turned into something great for her, something big for her. David used that little task of playing the harp to, to quiet the king. How many times has someone opened a door uh, to a church to invite somebody lost in, and then that person is saved later? That's a little task, unlocking and opening a door. That's a little task, but that means something great. That's something everlasting for that individual that's coming in that can be saved, that should be saved, that will be saved. That's, a, that's huge. Those little tasks, we're taking for granted. It's the little tasks that God uses uh, to work in the churches, these little tasks that we think we don't think much of, but it's huge. Singing, that's a task. But singing joyful noise unto Him, He wants us to do. He wants us to, to use that little task, helping out with our youth when we finally get to get back together with our youth. That's a, that's huge. Some people might think that's a little something. That's huge. Their salvation comes out of youth leaders and, and teaching the gospel, teaching about Jesus Christ. That's huge. Don't take that as a little job. That's a big job. That's a big task. Cleaning the church, being present at the church, those seem like little tasks, but they're huge. They mean a lot. When I was reading this this week, I got thinking of that little hyssop, that little hyssop limb there, that little bush, and, and the little task of dipping that hyssop over into the blood and then 
paint the mantle of the door so that that death angel would pass on by and not kill the firstborn. That was a little task of just painting some blood, just obeying God and painting some blood. That was a little task that saved many lives that day. Little acts of kindness that we do. They, they reach out where no big things could have, have ever happened to share the plan of salvation for someone. These little tasks, little things that we do in this life are big in God's eyes. We, we put them on a scale kind of like we do sin. We, we have little sins and big sins. Well, the task that we do for God, we look at as being a little task and a big task. They're all a task for him, and he has to be glorified as we do it. So what are we going to do for him? Little tasks bring great results and blessings. All these little things that you do for God are going to bring about blessings. But you got to do them. The shepherds, the shepherds had a little task. All they had to do was leave their flock and follow that star. Leave that flock and go to Bethlehem. And they did that. They, they honored God, and he honored them. He protected them sheep, I guarantee it. Kept them right there in the fold the whole time. Little things, little things. Little things is in this Christmas story that we're reading is the way that God chose to send his son to this world. It's the little things, the little places, the little people, the little the little events that took place. That's how God chose to share the story of Jesus Christ with us. That's how he chose to bring his son, Jesus Christ, into this world. And in the, the, the great words of the famous Alan Jackson, it's all right to be little bitty because God's going to use you. God's going to use the little bitty people. God's going to use the little bitty churches. I cannot wait to see what God has in store for our churches in the next year. When we finally get where we can we can get back together in fellowship, I can't wait to see how God uses his little churches to do big things in our communities and in our in our world. But he's going to use us. He's going to use us little people in our little churches to do great things. Let's pray. Father, this morning as uh, we close out, God, this wasn't, wasn't deep. It was just real, and it was true. And I pray, Father, that you would honor our time together this morning. Lord, I pray that each one of us that can look back at the little church where we were saved or maybe the little word that was spoken that touched our heart, maybe the little song that was sung uh, that, that moved us to that altar to ask to send Jesus Christ into our hearts. Lord, I pray that we remember that and not forget that. And Lord, I pray that you would use us, continue using us, the little people here on earth, these little Christians that are walking around. Lord, use us. And God, I can't ask you enough to use our little churches. Lord, open up the doors of our little churches to allow people in uh, to worship, Lord, and, and allow those people in that are lost and dying and going to hell. God, allow us to open up our little doors and our little churches and let a little bit of love shine in the, li the light, the lives of those that are around us. And Lord, I pray that you would continue um, to, to use us, to bless us. Lord, I pray that you would uh, continue to use Chestnut Dale in a way that would be pleasing. And God, I pray that you would just keep moving the way that you're moving. And Lord, I tell you right now, I cannot wait to get back next Sunday and to see your people inside your church in fellowship with one another once again. Lord, we love you. We praise you. Thank you for keeping us safe, keeping us healthy. All this in your son's name we pray. Amen.